Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to Ladies Who London podcast. I'm Emily Dell. And I'm Alex Lacey, and we're qualified London Blue Badge Tourist Guides. Each week, we bring to you some of the best bits of London. We talk about our favourite people, places, and events with a bit of information, a lot of laughs, and a whole lot of fun. We can be found on Instagram at Ladies Who London podcast and on our websites, guideemily.com and alexlacy.com for information about our upcoming virtual tours as well as what the blue badge guiding qualification is all about hello hello. (laughs) hi alex lacy how are you i'm very well emily dell how are you (laughs) not too bad not too bad it's been a week since i last saw your face yes i know i know it's uh gosh these weeks are sort of they're going past relatively swiftly aren't they i think they are. We're now in March. Yeah. Well, who'd have thought yeah, it? It's, it's mad. It's a bit but mad. Yeah. 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 Get me away from the winter months. So I'm pretty happy that it's going <laughs> quite speedily. Yes, exactly. And, and, and spring, spring is springing and there's hope on the horizon. So there we go. There is. There is. Fantastic. Well, listen. Um, so last week you got your wish, didn't you, of finally having a garden or a park to talk about? I did. I spoke about Chelsea Physic Garden, which is a bit of a beauty. It really is. And and what did you pick for Podcast Pedestal last week? Because we had um, a couple of different options. Uh, very, very dis- yeah, kind of disparate options, actually. I went for something slightly mad. I went for the 50-year-old grapefruit. Uh, what did you go for? I went for Sahan Sloan, who was the one who basically kind of... Um, started it all he purchased the land and gave it to uh, the physic garden that was already there but at the time it was teeny tiny so he allowed them to really expand and be the people that they are today yeah absolutely and it's funny because I said to you at the time, I, I I realized that the grapefruit is not the best choice, but I got really grumpy about everybody being involved in, <laughs> in uh, slavery. So uh, so I went with the grapefruit because, as far as I was aware, it had no links to slavery. Um, well, so- I suddenly felt I felt very guilty after that. I came away thinking, right. "Oh my God, I've chosen Sahar Sloan. People are going to think I'm a terrible person." I know, but no, I don't think so at all. I think you know he is very keen, and we can't. You know, nobody is nobody is sort of 
it's a gray area isn't it and it's it doesn't yeah. mean that because somebody's bad that they're also not partly good blah. anyway whatever um so <laughs> I, I was i was having a grumpy day <laughs> about all this. so um, which way do you think it's gone <laughs> so um judging by your reaction <laughs> Um, and looking at my personal guide, Emily Instagram, I am feeling pretty good. Honestly, I feel like I, I might have, I, I might have won a trophy. Never play poker with me because I'm so terrible at hiding anything. Yeah, you've completely smashed it this yeah! week. <laughs> Come on! <laughs> Although I do love grapefruit. I mean, yeah, but still. Yeah, I mean the grapefruit was was very much a, <laughs> I was I was treading water with that one. Um and and it was a, it's a very rightful win. So well done. You've got 68 votes to my easily 29. So uh, oh, bloody hell. Yeah. I need to like put that on a certificate. That is an absolute win, isn't it? Gosh. I'll you want to drop it around later. <laughs> yeah, thank you. We can put little kind of images of grapefruit all around the edge just to remind us yeah. of uh, your choice. <laughs> <laughs> oh brilliant you're not gracious in victory <laughs> oh no never never oh fantastic oh if if i was next to you alex i'd shake your hand you wouldn't be allowed because of covid anyway <laughs> <laughs> so this week um the wheel uh stopped in Whitechapel, which i'm pretty thrilled about because we haven't been east particularly have we, we, done a little, we did a little bit we did the match girls east have we had anything else east I don't think we have actually, have we? Um, no. So, so this will be great. I'm excited for this one. Yeah. So the reason I um, uh, so I, I picked Joseph Merrick, uh, who is otherwise known as the Elephant Man, and the reason I picked him mm. is because he has a link to the London Hospital, which is in Whitechapel. Um, and I have to say, at the very start. It's not a really fun story. It's quite mm. sad. So just brace yourself for this. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I'm, I'm not going happy clappy this week. I'm going for a slightly sad story. But you know what? I think it's always like this need to be told because Joseph Merrick was an incredible man. And he really is the first man in history that we have, particularly being an independent, disabled man. Mm you know, going out into the world and, and, and basically making a life for himself in as best as he could. So um, do you know much about Joseph Merrick at all? Have you, have you kind of heard of him? I'm sure you've heard about him, but do you know anything about him? Um, I only know really as much as the film, the old black and white film, which I watched when I was very young and so moved by it. Um, and I, I know why you've chosen uh, to talk about him in Whitechapel, so I know why you've got that connection. But in terms of how how it, you know the deformity occurred and and all this kind of thing, I'm not too sure. Okay, so I have to tell you first off that that film from I think it was 1980 is not very accurate. Um, there's quite a lot of I know what a shock. <laughs> film doing history and not getting it right. I know. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's quite a few historical inaccuracies in there, but um, you know, it's a good place to start, and I think it's a good place to kind of uh, raise awareness of Joseph Merrick and, and who he is. So even though it's it's a very much a Hollywoodized um, sort of, I guess, what's the word? 
um, a bit um a bit sort of saccharine version really um but, you know there is some truth in there as well so joseph eric um he was born in leicester in 1862 and when he was born uh he was the fourth child to his mother and the previous three children had died all from um i think they'd all had disabilities as well uh and they'd okay. either died in infancy or um or when they were you know either stillborn or very very tiny so um yeah she'd lost three children prior to him and when he was born in 1862 he grew totally normally there was nothing to suggest that there was any kind of um, um illness or disease or anything there um, until he was about 18 months old mm. just over a year and a half and at this point um his mother who's called Marianne and, and actually his relationship with Marianne is quite a big deal they are very very close he loves her I mean I know it's, it's really obvious to say how you know he loved his mother um but they they were had a really wonderful relationship and and um and what happens with his mother actually comes to sort of determine really what happens in his life a little bit so when he's about a year and a half um he his lips start to swell and his body starts to kind of develop these lumps on his mm. face uh, and the skin on his face starts growing and becomes really quite loose and, and a bit lumpy. And by the time he gets to five years of age, he's really showing some quite extreme um, bodily differences. Uh, and I think, you know, it's always really very picky to sort of pick the right terminology here. So I, there is a chance that I may use the wrong terminology um, on occasion, which I don't mean to do. Um, I tend to use the term differently abled rather than disabled or um, handicapped because I think you know bodily differences are not something that that makes anybody a um a, a lesser person or any less able to do things apart from the you know the obvious physical ramifications so um yeah he, he's, he's showing what we would term as deformities um I would probably just sort of say differences in 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 his body to to other children and his right arm is is about twice the size of his left arm his feet are enlarged and and really kind of he has difficulty walking he mm. can walk but you know there, there's obviously um yeah given that his feet are, are larger than um and, and you know slightly differently formed um it is quite tricky for him and as he grows older his skin gets thicker and he gets all these kind of large growths on on various parts of his body now the diagnosis for this is still a bit of a hot topic. People aren't 100% sure what he had, but the most kind of popular theory is that it's a thing called Proteus syndrome, which is a very rare disease um, that causes um, bones to grow more than they, they should normally, as well as the skin as well. Um, and what, can I just ask, did they know, um, uh, did they have that diagnosis back then, or is this a diagnosis that we've given him years later after this is a modern after... diagnosis yeah so they didn't okay. have wow. knowledge of of a lot of these things there and you know i think at the time nobody had ever really seen something that was i mean because his, his his body is if you see pictures of them and i'm sure we'll share one on our instagram um if we feel that that's appropriate I'm, I'm not sure i'm in two minds on that um but as well as the very um obvious uh, deformities that he had on his head which is where he got the name later the elephant man and I'll tell you how how that came to be um it was the same on his body as well he had um you know his arms his the side of his body so it's really a, a, across the whole body and you know it, it was very very extreme so a lot of people you know well most people wouldn't have seen anything like this before and what's really quite odd is that we can't test his DNA to identify 100% what the illness was 
Um, the reason for this is when he died, um, his they wanted, you know, he kind of knew, I think, that his body was probably going to be um, used for medical uh, science. So his flesh was stripped from his bones and the bones were bleached. Um, so there's actually no DNA to be able to take. There were a few oh. hairs that were taken from his clothes, but they, we didn't get any DNA from them. So there's no chance now really that we're going to get any DNA uh, in order to be able to um, to identify exactly what it was that he had. But Gosh. it is suspected that so it's... What, so why did they bleach his bones? Was that something that they did back then, thinking that yeah, that was, I don't know, they were able to take something from that if they did? I, I, honestly, it was probably just a way of cleaning the bones uh, from the flesh. Mm. Uh, it sounds awful, but it's probably as, as very oh. simple as that, to be honest. There may have been a belief that... Um, he had something that was catching. I don't know, to be honest, um, but that that was what was done when they were taken into um, the, the stores. They're now in uh, Queen Mary University in East London. So, um, yeah, it was obviously just a way of preserving them and preparing them, essentially. Mm. Um, wow. But if you had asked people in this period of time, in the Victorian period, why, uh, you know, what his, his uh, diagnosis was, they would have told you something very different. What they would have told you is that his condition was caused when his mother, Mary Jane, was frightened by an elephant uh, that she'd seen at a fairground when she was pregnant. Oh. So it's mad. people actually thought that a woman's emotions when she was pregnant could affect her child. And you, you see this through a lot of things. You see this why, you know, people saying, oh, if, if you want to get pregnant or if you want to have a beautiful child, that you look at beautiful art, you have beautiful art in your home because that will help you have a beautiful child. So there's clearly there's this sort of link between um, what a woman is, is uh, um, experiencing. Yeah, mm. and, and and how her child is going to turn out. So there we go. I think I well, so she must have earlier. believed that herself. She, she must have really believed that. I mean, because she was obviously the one that told that story um, to people that she was frightened by an elephant. Yeah, that was told to him when he was a child. So so possibly, um, yeah. I, I, I we don't really know what she um, whether she believed that or not. Um, and this is where we get to a little bit of, of the development of, of Joseph's story. So, and actually, I should say, when we're talking about the film, um, The Elephant Man, they very, uh, one of them shows you how, how wrong some of the, the bits are in there. They actually call him John Merrick. He's not, he's Joseph Merrick. Uh, mm. They call him John in that. But anyway, so when he's 11, um, the unthinkable happens. His mother dies of pneumonia. And Joseph is, it's said that he was absolutely devastated. Now, he's still got his father, but his father is, he's not as close to his father. And his father is, I mean, what we'd now consider child abuse, to be honest, but back in the Victorian period was a very standard way of parenting, which is to beat your children and to, you know, just to be pretty not nice to them. And that's, that's kind of what happened uh, to Joseph. And his father remarried. And when he remarried, his new stepmother didn't want him in the house at all. So she just didn't want him around her. Uh, and, you, you know, we do see a lot of, people just really not understanding disabilities back then. I mean, that, that still happens to this day uh, in certain respects, but back then, you know, it was, people just didn't understand. They they thought that they were cursed. They thought they could curse them. It, you know, it's pretty, pretty gruesome. So she says, right, well, um, I don't want you in the house. I, he, she brings him out of school. He's only 13 years of age. She pulls him out of school and she tells him to go and earn a living. And his body's still growing. So his body is still, you know, these... Uh, these growths, these 
lumps they're, they're getting worse and you know he's it which is making life even harder for him and he gets a job at a cigar shop uh where he is rolling cigars but realistically his his right hand which is about twice the size of his other hand um that you know he, he couldn't really roll them very well and so that that job didn't didn't um work out his father got him a license as a hawker which meant that he could go door to door uh, selling uh, a product and he, he was selling gloves and so that that is you know something that he he can do with his uh, with his hand it's not a problem but of course he's turning up on doorsteps and people are scared of him they don't trust him they they're not going to buy from or very rarely buy from him so he's really really struggling to make money and the problem with this is that when he goes home and he hasn't uh, got any money to come home with his father would beat him. His stepmother would starve him. She, she classic kind of evil stepmother. Um, they they wouldn't give him food if he hadn't kind of paid his way. Essentially, um, really awful. Like it's properly awful. But like I say, this is quite a Victorian thing. They had a, a phrase which was "spare the rod and spoil the child." So you know, if you if you don't beat your children, and then then they grow up spoiled. Essentially, yeah. Um, so he. He's pretty miserable, which you can imagine. And he tries to run away from home several times, um, which is not that easy because, of course, he's still struggling to make money. There's one person in his life who he can count on a bit anyway, which is his uncle, Charles. And Charles let, lets him live with him and tries to help him with his business uh, selling gloves. But realistically, um, it's, it's not going particularly well. And his license is actually taken away from him because so many people won't buy from him that there's no point giving him a license so they actually revoke his license mm. so it's not going very well and it, by this point we're at about 16 or 17 years of age and joseph merrick now he doesn't really have any option he we've we've talked about workhouses in the past and how really awful they are and he essentially has no other option he's forced to go to the, the workhouse in leicester which is you know a pretty awful existence you um we've spoken about before about how you can you don't have to stay in the workhouse you know you you are able to leave but you're only really able to leave if you're able to, to work to be able to support yourself yeah um i think we've spoken before about how they would um you know you'd have to sort of stay until after breakfast the following morning which meant that if you were going for for day-to-day -day work that you'd miss that call and it's it's just kind of this vicious cycle and he's there for about four years uh in this workhouse oh, yeah i know and uh, I guess like having to go into every single new situation and because inevitably people are going to question why he looks the way he does and he's yeah. not he's not able to explain because no. he doesn't know himself and, and he, there must have been a huge part of him that he just didn't know didn't understand yeah and not only can he not explain um in terms of not knowing why he is the way he is he also can't really speak very well if at mm. all, to be honest, especially mm. towards the, the later part of his life, because the, the the growths on his face make it almost impossible for him to talk. So, you know, it, it's a really awful. And, and as well in the workhouse, we've discussed how people they had you had to keep you earn your keep, so you had to work. So there's a chance that he would have been doing some pretty um, pretty hard manual labour, some you know crushing of rocks or whatever. And this is despite his physical disabilities, which. Um, of course, would have made it incredibly hard. And and he was probably in vast amounts of pain, both physical and psychological, the entire time. Mm. Yeah, I told you, it's not, it's not a fun one this week. Not, <laughs> there's no laughs this telling. week, is there? It's so sad. I know, I know. Now, 
the way that he he obviously doesn't want to stay in the workhouse nobody does it's a miserable existence and he knows that there is something that is very very popular which he might have a chance in doing and this is the sideshow or what what was called at the time the freak show now it's a horrible phrase freak show um but that's what they were called and he got in touch with um a, a showman uh, in fact, he got in touch with one showman and then moved on to another slightly more famous showman called Tom Norman. So just to explain the kind of the sideshow or freak show phenomenon, it's something that was incredibly popular across Europe and America during the Victorian period. And, and some did even creep into the start of the 1900s as well. And it's kind of a bit like reality TV in that, you know, people are going along and having a look at people who are different. Um, nowadays you know reality tv it's people who are um obviously it's all very dramatic and, and and all sorts of stuff going on and back then it was more about the physical disabilities or physical differences between people um the, the key with these things they would travel around a lot and the key is that you have a showman and he is a big part of the drama um both in the show and before the show so um they would arrive in a town the exhibits wouldn't be seen beforehand so the showman is needed to kind of drum up interest and market the show so he's going around the town and being all like come and see the incredible bearded woman all this sort of thing and so mm. anybody who has a physical difference is guaranteed really a bit an income from this because there are these traveling shows going all over the place with people such as conjoined twins um, little people that they referred to as midgets, um, people with, uh, you know, suit people. So bearded ladies was a big, uh, a big draw. Tattooed men as well. People who had kind of had tattoos all over their bodies. Some of the attractions that, um, which, which kind of related around hair was Jojo the dog-faced boy, rather interestingly. And yes. I think this one is hilarious. This is the Hairy Mary from Borneo. Hairy Mary was actually a monkey. Um, oh. God, <laughs> did they dress her up and say, oh, this is actually a woman? Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, that was the whole thing. And people bought it as well. There was Jesus. a lion-faced lady as well. There was Alice Bounds, the bear lady. And there was another lady who was billed as the ugliest woman in the world. Her name was Mary Ann Bevan. And she was a huge star. She was a star um, predominantly at the Grand Panopticon in Glasgow. And she appeared with Tom Norman uh, an awful lot. And he, he said that her features were so um, bad and they, they, they became so ugly when she saw her husband drop dead at their front door and the shock uh, like just changed her features forever. And she was really... <laughs> like the wind. Yeah, basically, you know, the shock was so much that suddenly she became the ugliest woman in the world. I mean, it's <laughs> But she... She worked until the 1930s, and the best thing about her is if she if she found anybody who was daring to say that they were uglier than her, she threatened legal action. Oh, really? So that was her thing. That was her USP. Yeah. Like, I am the most ugliest woman here. Yes. Yeah. Wow. And she, wow. A lot of these people would make a lot of money. It's, you know, I don't want to say that the showman didn't abuse uh, the people who were there and abuse their trust, because of course there was an element of that. Um, and it, I think it would have depended on the showman, but vast sums of money could be made by the showman and also by the, um, the, the let's call them for want of a better word, exhibits or the acts, let's say. Mm -hmm. um, so there was a very famous act called Tom Thumb, who was an act under P.T. Barnum. If you've seen The Greatest Showman, that, that's the story of P.T. I mean, again, very Hollywoodized story of P.T. Barnum. 
um, who did come under a lot of scrutiny potentially for um, abuse of his victims. But Tom Thumb was um, a little person and he made a huge, he came from very, very poor background and he made so much money that his parents were able to uh, buy um, their own house. He was able to go on luxury uh, trips around the world. So he did very, very well. Um, we had things like Patrick O'Brien, the Irish giant, the fat boy of Peckham, like some of these just immense um, acts that, that people loved. And Queen Victoria was obsessed with them. She was mm. absolutely obsessed with them. In fact, P.T. Barnum, and they do show this sort of in, in the, uh, the Greatest Showman, um, they came to the palace with um, his top axe, Tom Thumb, and Tom Thumb acted out a, a, a sword fight with her little dog, and she was absolutely just enchanted with this. <laughs> I know, hilarious. And she wrote about um, Tom Thumb in her diaries quite a lot, and she invited him back several times with other um, circus... Uh, I'm doing this in, in um, quotation marks, circus freaks, because, you know, that's what they were termed. I don't like that term, but still. Um, and she really helped popularise them, because up until this point, the sideshow was seen as a really kind of low-class affair. And when the Queen gets involved, which she does from young actually as a princess she gets into it it becomes respectable so the more people go the more money was made mm. and uh this is where it becomes a very very marketable thing and tom norman was the kind of the english version of pt barnum so he is one of the big dogs in it and he starts out in the 1870s with eliza jenkins who is known as the skeleton woman and another act who was called the balloon-headed baby and i've not been able to find a picture of the balloon-headed baby oh, oh, a bit more of a rummage it anyway. was probably just an actual balloon. People will believe anything in the Victorian period, you know. Hilarious. So anyway, so this is what Joseph Merrick is aware of. And he contacts Tom, Noon, uh, Tom, Tom, Noon, Tom Norman. And in the show, in the, in the movie, he is portrayed as um, a guy called Mr. Bites. Uh, so Tom Norman, the name doesn't actually appear, but Mr. Bites is, is shown as an old drunk who beats Joseph Merrick. And actually... That's completely not true. Um, Tom Norman was, he was very young, actually, and he was part of the temperance movement. So there's no booze happening there at all. So he's certainly not this boozy old beating guy. Now, we, we obviously don't know exactly what the um, relationship was like, but Joseph Merrick, towards the end of his life, actually wants to see Tom Noonan. Uh, Tom, why do I keep calling him Tom Noonan? Tom Norman. <laughs> like that name uh tom norman uh when he's in hospital later in his life and we'll come back to that shortly so um he contacts tom norman and gets himself out of the workhouse by getting himself into this uh sideshow or freak show and what norman would do is he would uh tell the crowd so when they go to the show he he's he's got them as a captive audience and he tells these crowds about the story how Merrick's mother when um he was born she was stamped on by an elephant resulting in a half man half elephant creature and then with all the drama that he could possibly do he'd pull back this curtain to reveal Joseph Merrick and the audience would be amazed and shocked and ah you know all that kind of thing so he was one of the headline acts really um but you think I wonder how you know I don't know do you think there was part of him that enjoyed the fact that people would be like, wow, my gosh, look at him. Or because having that, that reaction so many times, that must have been yeah. just... No, I, I, just I, I, I honestly, do, I, I think it would have been a bit mixed. I don't think from what I've read about him, I don't think he would have enjoyed feeling like uh, a freak. 
I don't think he would have mm. enjoyed that, but I think he would, uh, or he did enjoy, I'm going to say freedom. That's not quite true because he's not, he never really knows freedom, to be honest. Um, mm. But he, for him, it's better than being in the workhouse and he is earning money. He is able to, to I mean, I suppose it is freedom in a way, you know, he's, he's, he's hitched his wagon to, um, to Tom Norman um, and that's kind of where he is. But I mean, I guess when I say freedom, I mean freedom to, to, to do what everybody else would be doing and going out mm. and having, uh, you know, picking their job and all that kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? So I think he's always, his life has been dictated by his, what his body looks like. But it would have been much, much better than the um, workhouse. I mean, not amazing. And there were stories that he, you know, uh, he had to sort of sleep in, in freezing cold barns and um, in the middle of a sort of very harsh British winter. And, you know, it's, it's not it's not great, but it's also there's an element of ownership of his life, I suppose, if you like. And mm. one of the things is that he's an incredibly curious mind, so he, he can't really speak particularly well, but he is it's very clear that he is um, curious, he is intelligent, and he wants to learn, and he teaches himself to read and write. And what he does is he writes a little pamphlet of his life story, and he could then sell that at the show, and those earnings he could keep for himself. So what's quite interesting is that people going to these shows, you'd pay an entrance fee, they made an absolute ton of money from selling postcards and trinkets, and essentially souvenirs from them. So writing a little pamphlet of his life story if you imagine that kind of in in the better word the gift shop at the end i think a lot of people would have been quite you know interested in that so he did sell quite a lot of that um, and he's getting paid for doing this but he's also getting those earnings from the pamphlet as well and he he loved writing letters he found that kind of writing gave him a lot of comfort which i guess if it's your only way of communicating it would do and he would always end mm. his letters with a poem by a chap called Isaac Watts, uh, and it's called False Greatness. I'm just going to read it to you because it's really short, and it's, it's kind of perfect, actually. Uh, so the poem okay. goes, "'Tis true my form is something odd, but blaming me is blaming God. Could I create myself anew, I would not fail in pleasing you. If I could reach from pole to pole or grasp the ocean with a span, I would be measured by the soul, the mind's the standard of the man." Which I think is actually mm. a perfect way to end it. And it says everything in there that he wants to say. Wow. Yeah. You know, a lot of these people going to see this show are thinking that Merrick is mentally handicapped um, as well. And of course, that, that is far from the truth. And so being able to sell this pamphlet uh, written by him is, is a great way of, of showing that, you know, that he is, um, he's not, he, he's perfectly... Um, lucid he's perfectly capable of, of of thought of learning and all that sort of thing as well well exactly to write something like that you know you uh, there's a lot going on in there and you know and to to know that his his thinking he's got these very well intellectual thoughts yeah. um I, i'm glad that people were able to read that and and kind of learn a little bit more about him more so than just the visual aspect yeah and i really hope that they took that on board as well i hope that they you know, they listened to that and and sort of read it and, and thought, you know, I, I get this guy a bit more. And, you know, the sideshow, the freak show thing really starts to sort of die off and people start to kind of question it a bit and go, oh, do you know what? This is really uncomfortable as we get more towards the kind of 1900s. Now, the whole thing changes a bit for him when when it, the, the, um, Tom Norman's show is in London. Uh, it's based in Whitechapel and 
Joseph Merrick, while he's there, is living very close to the London hospital. And there's a surgeon there called Frederick Trevers, um, or possibly Treves. I don't quite know how you want to pronounce it. I'm going to say Trevers. Um, and he was intrigued about this, this so-called elephant man. Um, and he asked if he could come and inspect uh, Joseph Merrick's body. And Merrick agrees. And so um, the surgeon comes and has a little look and he, he does some drawings and this kind of thing. And he finds that his his bodily um, the growth is incredibly extreme, mm-hmm. um, and that he's suffering, you know, with pain and all this sort of stuff. And by this point, his the tumors um, on his leg have got really quite big, and so he can only really walk with a cane. And whenever Merrick goes outside, he he covers himself with a cape and a hood because he really just wants to stop people staring at him. And yes. and by this point, you know, to give you an, a sense of the extent of um, of what's going on with him his head if you were to measure the circumference of it it was a meter which is really enormous and his right hand that must be so weighty as well like on his shoulders and back carrying that load you say this and actually that's a very um good observation because he couldn't sleep lying down because of the weight of his head he had to sleep bent over leaning on his legs So the poor guy is just in abject. I mean, it would be absolutely awful. And and this is how he dies a little bit later on. So um, as well, if, if uh, the circumference of his wrist, if you were to measure that, that would be 30 centimetres, which Whoa. is yeah huge. And he, he's got, um, he's covered in tumours and, and walking is really hard. And anyway, all of this. So Trevor's really is, is massively intrigued by him and also realises that this guy has uh, like a spirit that like nobody else he's a survivor this guy has you know he could very well have stayed in that workhouse and wasted away and he chose not to he wanted to fight he wanted to get some autonomy over his life but Merrick really doesn't enjoy these visits with the surgeon he does a couple of them and and then he refuses he says no 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 he says he feels like an animal in a cattle market so um yeah and and Trevor's is not happy about this now we don't quite know whether he's got a hand in what happens next but the next thing we know is that the show has been shut down as a public nuisance now whether or not Trevor's has had a, a bit of a hissy fit and gets the police involved or whether it's something else we don't know but he does stay in touch with Merrick um and the the, the show closes in London and it moves over to, oh actually I think he, he, he changes show and he goes to Belgium and life in Belgium is just it's even worse to be honest and he has a new manager by this point. Um, his new manager robs him of his life savings and abandons <gasps> him in Belgium. Yeah, like bad to worst. So he's been um, dumped in uh, in Belgium with no money, and somehow he manages to get back to England. And he manages to get back to see Doctor Trevis, who is, seems to be the only person that really, you know, is going to help him out. So he, by Can I point, ask as well, Alex? Does he has his dad passed away? I don't at this point. Know. I don't know. Um, the the link with his dad really breaks when he, um, in in that period where he is going to uh, the the um, the workhouse and 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 going through the, the glove salesman. You know, the, all of that it breaks down. So I don't right, know okay. if not his dad is still around. But either way, but he's out of the picture. Not, that's not yeah. Mm-hmm. That's not a place for him to go. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So. Um, he comes back to London and he goes to see Dr. Trevers. And by this point, he is about 23, 24. And Trevers decides that he's going to um, take him into the London hospital and allow him to live there. Now, 
he's got no savings that he can't afford to do this. So what Trevor's does is he sets up a fund um, for people to donate to keep him. And in fact, there's a letter that goes out in the newspaper oh. and people have seen him in the shows, but also the, the, the kind of the feeling, the tide has turned a little bit now um, against these, these freak shows. Um, and people really, they're, they're not on board with them now. So there's a lot of people thinking, ah, oh, do you know what? That's really uncomfortable and, and we need to help out. So um, when this article goes in the, the newspaper, the amount of donations that come in are enormous and they are more than enough to see him through the rest of his life at the hospital. Wow, that's amazing. And I hope, um, I'd like to think that he knew how many people were donating money towards him because then at least he'd know that he cared. Yeah, and I think he did know that because he you know he 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 may you know he that that fund was used to help him so he would have absolutely known yeah exactly now one of the people who visits him um the princess alexandra who is the wife of the king she come or the, or the future king i should say um she comes to open a uh, a wing in the hospital and she visits joseph merrick and she shakes his hand and they actually become friends and she starts visiting him and she writes him letters and he makes um, kind of craft gifts for her um, and, and all this sort of stuff. And even her um, husband, who's the future um, king, so, um, Edward, he sends him food and drink packages. And they're actually there's an amazing friendship that, that rocks up between these two. Uh, or rather these three actually and as a result of this it becomes quite fashionable for the upper classes to visit Merrick and to bring him gifts which you know again is is a sort of a bit of a, a freak show type thing um going on about um sort of going and visiting these people and, and it becoming fashionable to do that but it's not in the freak show way it's more in the way of going and kind of supporting I mean it's, it's still a bit a little bit grubby isn't it people kind of go oh this is in this is fashionable I'm going to do it but nonetheless um that is what's happening people are visiting him and he is at the hospital for four years and during this time you know loads and loads of people are coming um and showing their support and in the four years that he was there I reckon and from what I've read it does seem to be true that these were probably the happiest years of his life mm. Because he has, he's finally got some freedom. He is being looked after. He's got people visiting him. He's actually, he's, he's turned from being the, the person that you said before, you know, pulling back that curtain and people being shocked or amazed. He's gone from that to people kind of accepting him for who he is in a way. In their and own. Showing, showing empathy and sympathy towards him, which is yeah. what, what he needs. Yeah. What he needed. And what, frankly, everybody deserves. There we go. Mm. Mm. Now, he dies in 1890s and he uh 27 years of age oh and i know i know and if you remember i said that the the weight of his head meant he couldn't um sleep lying down because yes. what would happen is he would you know dislocate his neck or you know and the, and the sheer pressure just you know it would kill him um and he was found one afternoon so not at night um lying down on his bed uh, which made his head fall at an angle, which dislocated his neck. And <gasps> yeah, the official cause of death was recorded as asphyxia. So essentially, oh. suffocated. Um, the, 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 kind of the, the people, everyone says, oh, you know, he, he decided he wanted to, to lie down to sleep. It did look, because it was in the afternoon, 
um, and he was sort of lying across his bed. There's a th- there's a thought actually that it looked like he'd he'd slipped as he was trying to get up, rather than oh. had actually decided to sort of lie down for a sleep. There is another thought that maybe he decided to lie down to sleep in it, knowing what would happen and essentially choosing to take his own life in that way. I don't I don't know I don't know about you know we'll never know, but whichever oh, way it God. is. Oh I mean either way it's just. Yeah. Oh, it's so sad. It's just so sad. I know. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm God. sorry. You know, it's, a, it's an incredibly sad life and one that is, um, I, I think it's really, really worth remembering because he really, yes, like I say, he's, he's ahead of his time. He's an independent disabled man. He's determined. He's curious. He's, I mean, goodness knows what he would have achieved if he'd been given the opportunities or been not even given the opportunities just been allowed to find his opportunities for himself now um so we know i told you earlier that his skeleton is at the queen mary university and um, the rest of his remains were buried elsewhere and until very recently uh it wasn't known where they were and a couple of years ago there was an author writing a biography of him and she was trying to locate his grave she did quite a lot of of rummaging in records and this that and the other and eventually she found in a tiny little um note you know a book of of in a cemetery in the city of london cemetery in newham um that there was an entry for joseph merrick so while his body or rather his, his skeleton is still at the queen mary university the rest of his remains were buried in the city of london cemetery and she was thrilled to find them because uh, apart from the entry in the in the book as as per normal there wasn't any grave marker or anything there is now um a grave marker mm. for joseph merrick um and it, it did seem that it, towards the end of his life he he kind of knew what his what the fate of his but he knew he wasn't going to be allowed to just sort of be buried and, and kind of rest in peace if you like he knew that the doctors were going to get their hands on his on his body and that, that was it really um but yeah but it's really lovely now to have found that 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 grave of him um in the east end so, so at least part of him is is resting there um in peace with other people there we go God. that's the frankly wow, heartbreaking, but it is heartbreaking sure. definitely and i remember actually a few years ago i saw a production at the trafalgar studios um and the the, the gentleman who played joseph merrick he didn't have any kind of prosthetics or anything on his body to show kind of what Joseph would have looked like with his tumours but his whole physicality and the way that he moved Mm. you could feel the pain you know you could feel the 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 contortion of his bones and stuff even though he didn't have any kind of as I say prosthetics or any kind of costume to show it Mm. um and it, you know, and that was only an hour and a half, and I, I came out feeling like my body was kind of hunched myself. Yeah. So just to to live with that, live with it's that pain, excruciating, just excruciating. Mm. Mm. Wow, gosh, fascinating though, Alex. Such an important story to tell. Yeah, it's such an important story, and and I think, yeah, somebody who, I, I'm very much. I mean, you know, you know me. I'm, I'm a champion of, of people and and people who get overlooked and and people who have challenges and all that kind of thing and so I think it's really important you know I I talk what we do as guys we talk about the kings and the queens until the cows come home but for me it's about the little people um it's about the normal people it's about the people who are sort of struggled through and 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 made their lives and and yeah so all that thing and I I think Joseph Merrick is is somebody who definitely needs to be celebrated 
definitely. Yeah, such an important person that lived in London. Yeah. So, yeah, well, thank you very much, Alex. My pleasure, my pleasure. Podcast pedestal. So we need to pick our podcast pedestal uh, toppers, don't we? Oh, my God. <laughs> what are you thinking of me? Oh, I kind of... I kind of want to go for his mother passing away. Ooh, interesting. I feel like, and I remember that in the film, and I know that you said the film wasn't tremendously accurate, but I remember feeling that that's just, that's that's really broken him. And the pathway he takes after that, you know, if his mother lived through his life, I mean, bearing in mind he died at 27, mm-hmm. maybe he wouldn't have, I don't know, entered the the show. And so I think that kind of changed everything. So I think I'm going to go for the mother, uh, his mother passing away. Okay. That, I think that's a really, that's definitely a very crux point of the story, isn't it? Yeah. And, and if she'd have stayed around, he, he might have had a really loving family life. I mean, who knows? Um, yeah. It's so hard to tell, isn't it? All right, so mm-hmm. his mother, um, I think I called her Mary Ann at the start. She's Mary Jane. I, I, I went there. Mary Jane, okay. Mary Jane, yeah. Um, I'm torn between Dr. Trevor's and Tom Norman. And I kind of, I sort of, I, I actually, I think I'm going to go for Tom Norman because whilst Dr. Trevor's is very much the, you know, the, the reason that he has a, a really good four years to the end of his life he's also you know he, he's he's also studying him it's not it's not entirely selfless um mm-hmm. but he wouldn't have got to um Trevor's and he wouldn't have got out of the workhouse if it hadn't have been for Tom Norman's traveling show and I think that's the kind of the, the link between the really hideous workhouse environment which he ended up in and and getting to the position of um, of, of the last four years of his life in the hospital with Dr. Trevor's. So for me, that's kind of, that's the link. That's the, the, the coupler, if you like. Um, if it hadn't been for Tom Norman, he'd still have been in the workhouse. Um, so I think, yeah, for me, it's, whilst I don't agree with the, the whole freak show thing, for him, it was it was a, a, a choice. It was a freedom choice. It was um, a way out. Yeah, it absolutely was. So, so I'm going to go for Tom Norman. Okay, Tom Norman and his mother passing away. Yeah. Those okay. Are. Are two options. Gosh, quite, quite serious, quite serious pedestal toppers this week. <laughs> serious pedestal toppers, but you know we can't have fun every week. No, yeah. but that it's just yeah, it's so important to tell you know the the sad and traumatic moments in history as well. So that you know that was really interesting, Alex. Thank you. No worries. So we have. Uh, it's time for the the wheel of fortune, isn't it? The wheel of destiny. It is the wheel of destiny, <laughs> um, and it's my turn, of course, yeah. next week. Yeah. Um, and I I would like to talk about a person. I don't know who yet. Right. But I I feel like I don't generally do that many people. Yeah. Um, as it were. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think wherever the wheel lands, I'm going to try and pick a person. Okay. The Wheel of Destiny. So let's see. Have you got the wheel ready? Are we going to give it a go? I've got, yeah, I've got the wheel ready. Are you ready, Alex? Oh, I'm always ready. Bring it on. <laughs> we're off. Um, right. 
Oh, oh my God. Okay, so the, I swear the arrow just kind of, it, it just drops on places that we we constantly go to. So oh, we, we've come to, we've we've come to Bloomsbury <laughs> again. Oh my goodness, is that like the first time now? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I think so. We did what? Sutton Who? Yeah, we did Sutton Who. We did something else as well. Well, anyway, let's do it. What, what, have, what have you got for Bloomsbury? What do we think? So I wanted to talk about a person. Um, and of course, around Bloomsbury, you've got the Bloomsbury group. You've got lots of different writers and creative people. And well, actually, it is International Women's Day on the 8th of March, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, yep. so maybe it might be good to pick a lady. It might be. And if I'm around the Bloomsbury area, I think I'm going to go for Virginia Woolf. Oh, who's afraid of her, right? (laughs) Well, exactly. And she's a a very interesting lady. I mean, in terms of her writing style um, and her connections, not just with men, but also with women. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think I'm going to talk about Virginia Woolf. And also her, It's although it's quite a sad one again, because um, the... the, the end of her life but she was a very incredible person who is still highly remembered today because of her writing yeah absolutely and the way that she was so i think that she'd be a good candidate for international women's day which of course will be international women's week great so if you're up for that fantastic that sounds wonderful to me amazing brilliant Lovely. Lovely. That's it for this week. Thank you everybody for coming and listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And we will see you next week for some Virginia Wolf chat. Yeah, perfect. Thanks everybody. Thank you. See you next week. Bye. Bye.